You're listening to Just Another Fanboy Presents The Death of Superman, and this is episode number 13, Ghosts. Hello and welcome to Just Another Fanboy Presents. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and today we're going to shuffle into week number 13 of the epic crossover event, The Death and Return of Superman. Martha Kent has lost her son, but will she lose her husband too? Let's find out together with issue number 21 of Superman, Man of Steel. This issue hit the stands 30 years ago this week on January the 12th, 1993. It had a cover price of $1.25, and the title of this issue is Ghosts. It was written by Louise Simonson, pencils by John McDonough, inks by Dennis Janke, letters by Bill Oakley, and the colorist was Glenn Whitmore. So yeah, let me tell you what happened. This synopsis that I'm getting ready to read to you was provided by DCFandom.com and edited by me. As the issue opens, Metropolis is flooding, Superman is drowning, and Lois Lane is unable to save him. Then, just before Superman is about to be pulled under, the phone rings, waking Lois from her nightmare. On the phone is Perry White, who tells Lois that Metropolis is flooding. And sure enough, we are taken underground, where the underworlders are fleeing from the rising water. Meanwhile, Jonathan and Martha return to Smallville. Jonathan is still grieving heavily from the loss of his son and begins losing himself in memories. Elsewhere in the Cadmus Labs, the Newsboy Legion tell Guardian and Double X about the flooding, and they are disturbed to see Superman's body being experimented on. The Underworlders discover that a Cadmus explosive charge is to blame for the flooding, as Lois begins her investigation into what, at this point, above ground, are rumors of the flooding. She starts at the Metropolis Stock Exchange, where she's had reports that the basement is flooding, suspending all market activities. While a security guard is no help, she overhears from evacuating employees of a possible explosion under Superman's tomb. In Gotham City, Alfred mentions the flooding to Batman, and both men agree that Metropolis sure could use Superman. Looking at the kryptonite ring in the Batcave, Batman wonders if he should get rid of it but decides against it because of its symbolism of Superman's trust in him. Meanwhile, Lois comes across Maggie Sawyer at Centennial Park. Maggie tells Lois about the previous night's events. A short time later, the Underworlders find Lois and give her definitive proof that Cadmus is to blame for the flood, and therefore, Cadmus must have Superman's body. Lois and the Underworlders invade Cadmus to take back the body. The Newsboy Legion comes along to help, but the alarm is triggered before they can move the body. While they escape empty-handed, Lois has enough proof to write a story about what Cadmus has done. Later, in Smallville, Jonathan reads Lois's story. His feelings of the inability to protect his son cause Jonathan to have a heart attack in Martha's arms. So, yeah, that's what happened in the issue. That's how it ends. Jonathan having a heart attack. Let's then go through the issue 
not necessarily page by page, but I like to look through it and then tell you my thoughts as I was reading this and clarify anything that maybe the synopsis left out. So we'll start with the cover. This has the banner up top, Funeral for a Friend, number seven, and it has the triangle nine, and it features Martha running through their field out there in Smallville. You can see their house and their barn in the background. Martha herself is a very small figure on this cover. She's in the mid-ground, I guess you would say. And then Jonathan is in the foreground. However, he too is a very small figure, and he's laying face down in the field, and Martha is screaming his name. So they're not trying to hide the fact that something has happened to Jonathan right here on the cover. Inside, we start out with the nightmare that (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you guys kind of threw me there for just a moment. Not that long. I mean, maybe a couple panels into it. I mean, just for a moment, I went, wait a minute. Am I reading this out of order? Did I start the right book? And I had to just kind of look real quick. And then that's when I kind of realized, oh, this is probably a dream considering that Lois feels very guilty. And sure enough, it is. And she's torn out of the dream by the phone ringing. Perry White is calling, though we don't get his side of the conversation. I thought that was kind of neat. They don't do that a lot that I've noticed in comic books. We just get Lois's side of the conversation where she says, hello, Perry, what are you doing at the planet at five in the morning? No, you're not bothering me. I had to get up soon anyway, but why? What do you mean Metropolis is flooding? And this is a double page spread here in this book. It's not a splash page. We got three panels on the left side, one kind of tall, narrow panel on the right side, and then a one great big panel in the middle. And the panel in the middle, we're, we're in the Underworlders territory. We're down in the tunnels and the water is flowing in. And if you remember from the previous episode, when we talked about Action Comics number 686, there was a little explosive device left in one of the tunnels underground right beneath the river. It exploded and the river came flooding in. And now it's flooding underworld and it's starting to come up out of the sewers and the manhole covers and the storm drains and this this panel in the middle with the underworlders there's some that look like they are drowning uh but we got a couple of them that are that are pulling themselves out of the water there's it's going to be very hard for me to describe some of these underworlders they very much remind me of the morlocks from the x-men books you know the morlocks were mutants that lived underground most of them were mutant in appearance as well as powers. And so they were shunned by society. And so they lived in the uh, abandoned subway tunnels of New York. And the underworlders, most of them are the results of genetic cloning experiment type things that they were doing over at Cadmus. But based on some of these underworlders, I just have to wonder what kind of experimentation they were doing because there's one guy for example, who's hanging off of this pipe and he's just basically a flesh-colored torso with a long tail and looks like he has a pair of eyes, but I don't see a mouth in there and 
doesn't have any legs. He's just his body just turns into a tail, but they call him stretch. So maybe he's stretchy. Maybe, you know, he kind of looks like something you'd make out of silly putty, I guess. And then you've got another one that is basically some kind of weird, like snail made out of slime or something. The the body of the snail. I don't know. It's very weird looking. And we get some more of them a bit further into this story that are that are kind of different. We get uh, when Jonathan and Martha, they come back home to Smallville and their neighbors. I don't know if they say their name. Ed is the man. And I don't know if they say the woman's name, but they've been looking after the farm and, and doing some of the chores. I mean, it's the middle of winter. There's snow on the ground. So there couldn't be too many chores other than just maybe feeding whatever livestock they have. And uh, Ed and his wife go to, to take help uh help them in with their luggage and they express their sympathies to Jonathan and Martha uh about losing Clark and asking if you know they have found his body so it's just it's a foregone conclusion to i guess the folks who are who are close to Jonathan and Martha that Clark is passed i would assume that when Jonathan and Martha talked to this couple and asked them if they would look after the farm while they went to Metropolis, that they probably just went ahead and told this couple and, and neighbors or whatnot. The, the story at this point is they don't expect Clark to be found alive. As far as they're concerned, he died in the, in the destruction. And right now, all they're waiting on is for the, the, the rescue workers, I guess, to find his body. So Martha goes in with Ed and his wife. But Jonathan says, tells her, you know, you go on in. I'm going to go see to old Bessie. Bessie would be their cow. And as Jonathan steps into the barn, he's immediately overcome by this memory of Clark as a young boy and Bessie as a young calf. And the two of them, you know, Clark is, is feeding Bessie and he... Uh, is getting her ready. He's he's excited about taking her to the fair, hoping that she'll win a blue ribbon. And he asks Jonathan, he asks his pa, do you think maybe she has a chance at a blue ribbon at the 4-H exhibit at the fair? Jonathan says, if hard work and care can make a calf a winner, son, that little gal's a blue ribbon champ. And Clark hugs him and says, thanks, pa. If she wins, it'll be because of you. And Jonathan says, me? And Clark says to him, you're the one who taught me how to care. And again, this is a Louise Simonson issue. So she just, her and John McDonough just know how to uh, tug at Stephen's heartstrings here. But Martha, eventually, I'm assuming that Jonathan has been out in the barn for a while because Martha comes looking for him. And not only is Jonathan kind of overwhelmed by this memory, he's actually sort of living it as well. Because when Martha finds him in the barn, he's on his knees and she says, did I hear you talking to somebody out here? And Jonathan says, nobody's here, Martha. How could I be talking to anybody? So from there, we go to Cadmus. Guardian and Double X are looking over the body of Superman, who is hooked up to stuff. He's got some bandages on. I'm I'm not sure exactly why. I'm going to assume that they were able to maybe extract some some tissue from him because I think it was in the Action Comics issue we read last week 
that said that uh, he had already, all of his wounds had already been healed by the time he died, or at least by the time they were able to kind of give him a, uh, you know, a once over after he had died. And they don't know if that happened after death, that his body was still healing, or if that happened before he died. And of course, the theory is that that happened before he died, but he's got bandages on. So I have to assume that they've been able to extract some tissue from him. Guardian and Double X are discussing how both of them feel a bit uncomfortable about what's going on. And Double X kind of doubles down on the whole, you know, this might not work because we don't have a living brain to put into the cloned body. And yeah, they said that they can use his memories or his brain scan of Clark, but they don't, they don't know if that's going to actually work. Now, at this point, that's when as the synopsis puts it, the Newsboy Legion comes in. When we talked last week a little bit about the Newsboy Legion, we were talking about characters who were adults at this point, but these appear to be young boys. And there's no explanation in this issue of just exactly who they are, other than at one point when they meet Lois, they say we're the Newsboy Legion. So obviously, for folks who have been reading this book for a while, they understand what's going on here. As somebody who hadn't read the book or, or anything before the death of Superman, I, I would I had no idea who these people were, uh, but it did not in any way take away from my enjoyment of this story. I learned eventually, and I'm pretty sure it was through that BBC audio drama I talked about, that these are clones of the original Newsboy Legion. So... I'm not really sure how that works because they're not, they didn't transfer. They obviously didn't transfer the brains of the original newsboy Legion into these clone bodies. Cause all those dudes are still alive. They're still up and walking around. So I, I don't, I don't know how that worked. Um, hopefully when I go back and start reading all these Superman comics from John Burns, man of steel, number one up through until I get to the death of Superman, you know, all that'll make a lot more sense. And hopefully I may be possibly, I don't know, doing something as I'm reading those books. I don't know. It's December 12th as I record this here episode. I know that it's going to release on January 12th. I don't know if I will be far enough along in this little project I'm working on by January 12th in a month to really start announcing a bunch of stuff. I'm really looking forward to doing that though. Uh, unfortunately, it seems like each time I, I think I have it down in my head what I want to do uh, before I can get started, I realize, nope, there's a better way to do that. And then I go down a different direction. So we'll see. We'll see. We get a bit more in Smallville with Jonathan at the table having some oatmeal. And once again, he's lost in a memory of Clark as a toddler, eating oatmeal there at the table. And then we go to the Underworlders again. They, there's a, a, a group of survivors. Um, looks like a lot of them have survived. And here is where we meet some of the really weird ones. Uh, there appears to be a giant frog in the water uh, that is big enough that there are three people coming out of the frog's mouth. Uh, we have two people that they refer to as Sponge and Hothouse that look like they have like the face 
Their heads are basically almost elephant heads, but I don't see any big ears because they have hoods on, but they have these trunks and it looks like they have these big wings instead of arms and they're using them to wrap their wings around people to dry them off. So sponge, I guess, will soak all the water out of these people, out of their clothes and off of their skin. And then hothouse uh, will dry them. I guess this underworlder radiates heat within the wings. I don't know. It's really weird. They look exactly the same, but apparently they do two different things. And then it's also here that we meet teletype. So teletype is a freaking sea lion. The head of a sea lion, the hands uh, are basically fins, you know, the fins of a sea lion, but the the there's actual fingers and, a, and an opposable thumb, but they're kind of almost shaped, you know, if he just holds his hands out there, they look like fins. And teletype is uh, telepathic, but the way that they communicate, you see word bubbles with pictures in them. And I have to assume, I don't know. I don't know what that represents. I don't know if the people who are communicating with teletype see the same thing, or if that's supposed to represent that teletype is telepathically putting those images in the other person's brain. That's what I have to assume because the word bubble or the, the, the balloon is kind of like a modified thought bubble. Teletype doesn't speak, but they they communicate telepathically in pictures, almost rhombus form, because teletype is, uh, they're holding this explosive device that has a Cadmus symbol on it. And then the thought balloon shows the explosive device equal, an equal sign, an explosion like a, a word balloon explosion with the word boom in it, another equal sign, and then a hole in a wall with water coming out of it. And so one of the underworlders that we've met before, Charlie, who, if we you remember, was in Superman Man of Steel issue number 18, the book that kicked off the death of Superman. He was kind of Lois's informant within the underworlders. She offers him a job. And but he doesn't want to leave. And so he's basically the uh, correspondent, the, the Daily Planet correspondent for the Underworlders. But he's telling somebody, another uh, Underworlder named Grub, who's a bald dude, what teletype has communicated to him through his telepathic means. And they then get inside of a giant frog. So <laughs> there's this big frog. Uh, that is named Bubble Up, and people can get inside Bubble Up, and Bubble Up will inflate its, I guess, chin sack or the the lower lip sack or whatever you would call that, and people can then sit in that bubble, that inflated sack, and they can see out of it while Bubble Up goes swimming under the water. He's basically he or she, it, they, they. Good God, Stephen. They are hit the, 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 the underworlders submarine, basically. And apparently Bubble Up can't speak without saying ribbit before and after everything they say. For example, I'll just give you one bit of communication here. After Charlie and Grub gets inside Bubble Up, 
Bubble Up dives and he says, Ribbit, hold on, going deep, Ribbit. And I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I just think that I don't know. I don't, I just don't understand what the flip Cadmus is doing <laughs> to have something like somebody like Bubble Up. And it's so super corny. And I can't decide if I love it or hate it. Just this bubble up and teletype. I just, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Drives me a little insane because there's a big part of me that just loves it. Loves the whole thing. Giant frog, lion seal man that speaks through rhombuses telepathically. It's just really bizarre. It's very, it feels like Silver Age kind of stuff. And I, I don't know how far back the Underworlders go. So I'm sure somebody can tell me. So we get the Newsboy Legion showing Guardian where the water is coming into Cadmus, which is very interesting because Cadmus is, they're the ones that caused the flood in the first place and then they're going to get some of it. So ha ha. Lois, as part of her investigation, you know, at this, at this point in time, as far as most people in Metropolis are concerned, there's not a flood going on. It hasn't really reached the surface too much yet. There's water coming out of like, like I said, the, the, uh, storm drains and manhole covers and all that stuff, but it's not coming out with such force that there's a panic in the streets. However, there's rumor going around evidently about, uh, Metropolis being flooded or, or about to be flooded. And Lois has learned that the Metropolis stock exchange, that there is, um, a report of the basement being flooded. And because of that, they're shutting everything down and they're evacuating everybody. And the security guard doesn't want to tell her anything, but there's like a line of employees that are leaving the building and they're all clutching their belongings. And one of them says, my cousin Janie is one of the Superman worshipers that we met in Action Comics last week. And the lady goes on, says there was an explosion under Superman's grave. She says it's a sign. And of course, Lois, being a news hound, is like, explosion, you say? I must go and investigate. And we get this really, I think it's a really great scene with Batman. If you, if you remember me really kind of complaining about that issue of the Justice League that released the same week as Superman 75 and was set immediately after Superman dying, and how it was, it, they, it tried to, it's like it tried to allow as many superheroes in the DC universe as possible. It tried to allow them to say something about Superman and say goodbye and honor him and memorialize him and stuff. And it was just too much. It was too much, too quick. And it just didn't feel genuine or right. This scene here, though, with Batman is wonderful. Thank you, Louise Simonson. Batman is in the Batcave. Alfred comes down with his coffee or tea or whatever and mentions that Gotham is under a couple of inches of deep snow and then mentions that there's some report of flooding in Metropolis. And you see that Batman's actually holding a newspaper, which I'm assuming was on the tray that Alfred brought down. He handed him his newspaper and it says Metropolis and flooding on the front of it. So I don't know if Lois was able to get back and write a, a, a you know an article real quick and then they got that out in the, the evening edition or whatever but 
I have to assume based on the fact that there is at least one point here where a newspaper is published and another point in the story where another newspaper is published that the events in this issue span at least two to three days. But when Alfred mentions that the newspaper is talking about reports of flooding in Metropolis, Batman mentions that, you know, Metropolis could surely use Superman now. Actually, no, it's Alfred that says that. Says the morning papers report flooding there. Metropolis could surely use Superman now. Not a very good British accent, I understand. And Batman goes to, uh, you know, he's got all these little trophies in his bat cave. He's got the giant penny and the the big T-Rex. And then he's got all these different trophies all over. And in one of his displays, he has a little jewelry box and in it is a kryptonite ring. And he's remembering the time that Superman came by and gave him this ring and told him, I have many enemies who have tried to control me. And I live in fear that someday they might succeed. If that should ever happen, if I should ever lose control, there would be only one sure way to stop me. And he's talking about the ring and he's giving it to Batman. And he said, Batman says, do you realize what you're asking? Should I try to do a Batman? Do you realize what you're asking? Okay, that was terrible. Superman says, I do. I want the means to stop me to be in the hands of a man I can trust with my life. And Batman tells Alfred, you know, maybe I should get rid of the ring. Maybe I should destroy it. But it's a symbol of his trust in me. And he just can't, he just can't get rid of it. And uh, again, damn you, Louise Simonson. Damn you for making me feel. Damn you. So Lois goes to Centennial Park where Superman's tomb is. There are just, a lot of these Superman worshipers there, though in this issue, they're drawn in their regular clothes. They're not wearing the big robes that they were wearing in action comics, but some of them do have like the Superman symbol on their forehead. I don't know if it's a tattoo or if they've drawn it on there, but they're, they're carrying signs that like one of them says he died for you. And uh, they're, they're calling out, be prepared. He'll come again. And you know what? They're right. <laughs> That's just kind of funny about that. But uh, Lois tries to approach the tomb. There's two beat cops out front and they're trying to stop her from going through. And so she turns around and she yells at the Superman worshipers. Are you going to let them stop me? Can they deny access to this temple? And they start going, no, let her in. And they're and they surge forward into these cops. And that provides Lois with enough of a distraction to slip by them and she gets into the tomb and immediately finds the crypt open and empty and the big hole in the wall. And then she sees Maggie Sawyer who, you know, Maggie's Maggie's not stupid. She knows that Lois is going to find out one way or the other. So she might as well give her the correct information. And she tells her what happened the night before with Supergirl and Lex Luthor Jr. and Dan Turpin and all of them going underground and the explosion and the flood. And she's standing alongside the river, looking out at the river, and she's thinking about all this. And then a giant frog pokes its head up out of the water and a grown man leans out of the frog's mouth and says, Miss Lane, Miss Lane, down here, it's Charlie. And as the frog 
rests on his elbows on the dock or whatever this is alongside the river, chin resting on their hand. Charlie and Grub go to tell Lois what they found. And it's the, the, I don't, it's an explosive device. I don't know. They're carrying it around all nonchalantly. So maybe it's a detonator or something, but it's obviously it's something that had to do with the explosion and it's got the Cadmus logo on the side of it. And so they tell Lois Cadmus caused the, the explosion. They caused the flood. They must have Superman's body. We go back to Jonathan, who is reliving another memory. It's the one from Man of Steel, issue number one from John Byrne. And it's the scene after Clark leaves home and he comes back and he's up in his room and it's drawn in such a way that his eyes are completely covered in shadows. So he looks, he's, I guess he's supposed to look dark and brooding. And to me, he looks just 100% creepy. And they reproduce that here in this issue. And again, he looks just as creepy. And it's a scene where he's telling his pa what happened when he saved the big uh, space plane or whatever it was called back then. And he hadn't been wearing a costume at this point. He hadn't gone under the name Superman. He was just traveling the world, learning about life, learning about people, helping people where he could. And uh, in this case, he there, you know, he had to step in and save this plane. And so he flew up there and did it. And when he, he brought the plane down, the crowd just, uh, you know, as, as he says, they all wanted a piece of me. And the memory is interrupted by Martha coming into the room. Jonathan, who are you talking to? What are you doing sitting in Clark's room in the dark? Jonathan says, I had the idea, Martha, the costume, the secret identity, I loved him. I thought I was helping. It's my fault, Martha. I didn't know. Martha takes his face in her hands and she says, it's not your fault any more than it is Lois's. You know that. And they hold each other on Clark's bed. And again, I just want to shake my finger at Louise Simonson for daring to make me feel something in my heart. We then get Lois in full scuba gear. She and Charlie and Teletype. And another underworlder that they call Pack Horse, who's like a little kid with a weird, I don't know what kind of head you would call that. I'm going to, I'm going to call it a, uh, I don't know. He's got a tube for a face. He's got a, he's got a big round head with a tube coming off of it for his, his nose and mouth or her nose or mouth. I don't know. I don't know why I'm just assuming everyone are men. It's probably because I'm a man and that's what we do because we suck. But Lois is in scuba gear. Because Bubble Up can only hold like two people. So Bubble Up has Charlie and Pack Horse inside them. Teletype is a freaking seal with hands wearing a robe and a hood, which just looks weird when Teletype is swimming around in the water. But Teletype doesn't need to be inside Bubble Up. So they all go to Cadmus and we learn why Pack Horse is called Pack Horse. And it's because Pack horse can carry people into places, but the way they do that is they can phase through things and anyone touching pack horse can phase through solid objects as well. So everyone is basically holding on to pack horse. Pack horse is, is holding Lois from behind. Charlie is holding on to pack horse's legs and teletype is holding on to Pack Horse's back, and they all phase through these rocks, 
straight into the Cadmus project, right into one of their tunnels. And immediately they are intercepted by a pair of guards who are wearing what appear to be just regular U.S. military uniforms. And Lois Lane freaking gets up there and judo chops one or judo kicks one right in the face. She just goes flying through the air. Bam! Well, Charlie takes out the other guy, basically just kind of holds him in, a, in an arm lock kind of thing from the back while Teletype touches the guy's face, which allows him to read the dude's thoughts and can see where they're holding Superman's body, which causes the guard to pass out. They run into the Newsboy Legion, who, as the synopsis said, they were feeling very uncomfortable about the idea of Cadmus doing experiments on Superman's body. So they agree to accompany Lois and to show her where the body is being held. Once they get to the lab and she sees Superman's body there laying on this medical table with tubes sticking out of him and bandages on him, she, of course, freaks out a bit and she runs at him and these two doctors in there try to restrain her and she kicks both of their butts. She just throws one off of her, elbows the second one in the gut, and then clocks them in the mouth. Both of those guards are, or both of those, both of those doctors are literally, she, she knocked them unconscious. She kicked their butts. And so, yeah, they try to take Superman's body out of there, but Teletype is able to sense telepathically that Double X is coming. Teletype can also hide anybody that they are with from other telepaths. So Double X knows that there's something wrong, but he doesn't know exactly what it is because he he basically he tells Guardian basically that he suspects a powerful telepath has been at work here because uh you know they do discover the two doctors that have been knocked unconscious uh but they don't catch Lois or the underworlders Charlie apparently had Lois's camera with him and though the the comic I'm reading says here's your camera miss Lane get some good incriminating shots I'm assuming that's supposed to mean got some good incriminating shots, which means Charlie got some photos. Lois goes immediately back to the Daily Planet and writes an article calling out Cadmus, telling the world what Cadmus has done. She's got freaking pictures of it and everything. Last page of this issue has Jonathan standing out at the crater out in their field where baby Kal-El crashed in the rocket. He's holding the newspaper that has, you know, the daily, well, it's actually, he's holding a uh, Smallville star, but it, it, it too is running Lois's story. So she must've put it out over the AP wire. And she did, you know, they, they do mention here that she did call Jonathan and Martha and tell them about this. She didn't let them discover this through the newspaper. She called and talked to them, let them know what was happening, let them know she was going to write this, this article. But Jonathan's out there in the middle of winter, freezing cold outside. He's standing out there without his coat on, didn't have any gloves on, and he's just staring into the crater. Martha comes running out to him to find out, you know, just what's he freaking doing? Old man standing out there in the cold. And Jonathan just kind of breaks down at this point. He's feeling, he's feeling more than guilty about what happened to his son. He tells, he tell, he tells Martha, 
You know, this is where the rocket brought him to earth. He seemed so helpless then. I swore then I'd protect him. I'd keep him safe, but I couldn't. I just keep thinking how he said, they all want a piece of me. And then he collapses. And the very last panel of this freaking issue is Martha on her knees holding Jonathan, who appears to be, we're going to assume at this point that he's dead based on the front cover of this book and based on what happened here and based on the synopsis that said he had a heart attack. We're going to assume at this point that he's dead. That's, that's the, that's what they're going for here. I will tell you with 100% honesty, I don't remember. I, I know, well, I, I don't want to, I, I know some of it, but I don't remember ultimately how it all falls into place, but I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about stuff that I know from issues that haven't come up yet. Anyway, that's how this issue ends. And uh, dang, once again, Funeral for a Friend, the best issues have been Louise Simonson issues. And I don't mean to say that as if I'm surprised, but the surprise just comes from the fact that she's been around for a long time. She's been writing books for a long time. She helped create Power Pack, which I remember a book reading way back then. And I, I've been reading a lot of her books for decades. And Read these stories. This is uh, my third, fourth time through. And I guess I just, for some reason, I just wasn't in a place that would allow me, I guess, emotionally to understand how deep her issues are. And by issues, I don't mean like her psychological <laughs> issues. I mean, the issues of the, the comic, her, the issues that she writes, they're, they're just, they're just so good. They're just very, you know, when, a flipping comic book, and I'm gonna I'm gonna trivialize it here for a second because I think it calls for it. But when a comic book about a man who flies and wears his underwear outside of his pants can make you actually feel emotion, that's that's a that's a writer right there. And uh, Louis Simonson is is uh, pretty darn amazing. I mean, when when I was thinking about getting back into this story, when I was thinking about what I could remember. From this entire storyline, the one thing that I kept thinking of was I'm looking forward to Act One, The Death of Superman. I'm looking forward to Act Three, The Reign of the Supermen. I think that's what I'm looking forward to the most. And I was looking forward to Act Four, The Return of Superman. And I remember thinking, you just got to get through that funeral for a friend. It's, I know it's stupid and it's boring and it's not any fun and there's, there, you know, just just get through it and you'll do a bunch of episodes about how boring Funeral for a Friend is. And God dang it, I was wrong. My memory is faulty or my my emotional tastes have just matured. Maybe. I mean, I am 50 years old at this point. I would like to think so. All right. So let's wrap this up. Let me tell you what we are going to look forward to over the next month based on what was in the back of this book. So next week, Martha and Jonathan Kent have had each other for as long as they can remember. Now with Earth's greatest hero, their only son, dead, Martha has no one to turn to as Jonathan slowly succumbs to his grief-induced heart attack. And they don't, they don't tell us what issue that is going to be in, but based on my schedule... That's going to be Superman number 77. That'll be next week. 
And then it says in two weeks, there is no information on Adventures of Superman number 500 at this time. And it's probably because Superman issue number 500 won't be released until April. I'm going to, I'll talk about this here in a bit, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again next week. But the third box in three weeks, there is no information on Action Comics number 687 at this time. But be here for the legacy of Superman number one, where the other heroes of Metropolis, Thorn, Gangbuster, Sinbad, Wave Rider, and the Guardian, Try to live up to the heroic legend the Man of Steel has left behind. Now, I don't remember Thorn or Sinbad. I know who Gangbuster, Wave Rider, and obviously who the Guardian is, but I don't remember those other two. And then in one month, there is no information on Man of Steel number 22 at the time. And that's because here's, here's how it kind of falls into place. So next week, we're going to have Superman number 77, which is uh, January 19th. And that was released back in 93, January 19th. The following week does not have any issues being released back then in this storyline. So the week of January 26th, there's nothing. The following week, the week of February 2nd, is when the book Legacy of Superman, that's a a one-issue, like one-shot special, that's when it comes out. And then the next four weeks has nothing. The week of February 9th, February 16th, February 23rd, and March 2nd, nothing. They didn't release anything during those four weeks. Now, I have penciled in, even though it's on a spreadsheet, so no pencils were involved, but I have scheduled in my schedule for the week of February 16th, I am going to try to do a bonus episode. So you're not going to get four weeks of nothing. And then on... March 9th is the next time we get a book released, and that is another special one-shot issue called Supergirl and Team Luther, issue number one, though I think one issue is all they ever released. And then we get another four weeks of nothing, March 16th, March 23rd, March 30th, and April 6th, nothing. No issues are being released until April 13th when they release Adventures of Superman. And then they take another week off and we don't get anything on April 20th. And then we get back into it with four issues in a row in April, take the first week in May off, and then the rest of May, all of June, all of July, and the first week of August, we get issues. There's another week off. We get issues during um, the last three weeks of August and the first week of September. There's one more break there. For the week of September 14th, and then we get our final issue on Superman number 83, and then that will end our season, and then I'll have to decide what I'm going to do next. But for the next few weeks, you're going to get Superman number 77 next week, two weeks from now, nothing. Legacy of Superman three weeks, no episode in four weeks, a bonus episode in five weeks, nothing in six weeks, nothing in seven weeks, Superman and Team Luther. Eight weeks from now, two months from now, two more weeks off, a bonus episode, one week off, and then Adventures of Superman number 500. So for those of us who were reading this live at the time, live and in person, as they were being published, you know, we get this issue, Superman, Man of Steel number 21, this week, 30 years ago. Then we get our Superman number 77, and I don't, you know, I know basically what happened with Jonathan at the end of this issue, we get more of that in Superman 77. We'll get a little bit more 
you know, a, a little bit more of the story. But then we get nothing. I'm pretty sure that Legacy of Superman and Supergirl and Team Luther, they I don't know if they go into anything in regard to Jonathan. I don't think we get anything from the 19th of January until the until April 13th. You know, that's a long time to wait to find out what happened to Jonathan. But that's what we're looking at, folks, for the next number of weeks. And I just noticed that my phone has been sitting here dictating everything I've said over the last few minutes. I've got a big paragraph of dictation that I was about to uh, text over to my daughter. And she probably would have wondered what the flip I was talking about. So I'm just going to take a moment and delete that while we're here on the episode, because you know what? Why not? I know you don't care, and I certainly don't care. <music> Done. Deleted. Now we can wrap this sucker up. And as we've talked about before, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very bad about transitioning from the end of the episode into the ending segment. So then when I say that I want to thank you for listening to this episode, it never sounds sincere, but I really do mean it. And let me just tell you where you can reach out to me. Just another fanboy at gmail.com. The voice line 785-318-6673 at Stephen or else on both Twitter and Instagram and Hive. If it's back up by now, facebook.com slash just another fanboy podcast. Forum.justanotherfanboy.com is the, the message board. There's my newsletter, Stephen Says Stuff. You can subscribe to that at list.justanotherfanboy.com. There's my Patreon if you want to support the show monetarily, patreon.com slash Stephen R. Or rate and review the show wherever that's available. And of course, the most important thing you can do beyond listening to each and every episode is to tell you know, just spread the word, get it out there, tell people. All the links, that email address, the phone number, that's all going to be in the show notes. So join us back here next week. Like I said, Superman number 77, the title of that is The End. That doesn't sound ominous. So yeah, I guess really all that's left to say is goodbye now. Bye. Sorry, I got distracted by a text.